0: they usually help us pray for communion. But it's good to see you this morning. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor here at New Life Foursquare. And it's it's wonderful to see you all here. Um, I have a couple of short things that I want to just say briefly before we start. uh, Before I start kind of talking about what I feel like God has given us this morning. Um, The first one is that every once in a while I will... um, uh, Get some books for the library, you've heard me say this before, and we kind of stock it. It's in this room here. If you ever want to borrow a book, you're free to go in there, grab a book. There's a little sign-up sheet, you can just say what the title of the book is and your name, just so we know where these books go. Uh, so if, uh, if you're interested in borrowing a book, there's some great ones back there. And I'm adding two to our library today. Uh, November 16th, Sylvia's not here, Sylvia can remember it for me. But November 16th, I believe, is the Restoration Pow Wow... Uh, down at, uh, uh, for the Siletz tribe down at, no, the casino, what's the casino's, Chinook Chinook Winds, thank you, my goodness, Um, Chinook Winds, and uh, everybody's invited to it, it's going to be a public thing we're thinking about, maybe go into it just to check it out, Um, but do you know that there's a rich tradition of theology and churches within Native American uh, contexts, there's a rich uh, heritage there. And so these are two books that are sort of a part of that heritage. Of, uh, so it's from Native American contexts, Christians within those contexts, um, discovering what it means to be Native. So this week we're in uh, First uh, Philippians 3. So I'm, we're going to go ahead and put it on the board. Can you put it on there? And we're just gonna, I'm going to read through this whole section here. This is from about the middle of verse 1 until verse 11. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. "...circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, what is more, I consider everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things." In Genesis 17, uh, if you started in Genesis, you got up to chapter 17, you would read about Abraham and how Abraham received uh, the covenant of circumcision, and how from then on, Abraham and his sons and everyone down the line, all the males of the household, uh, were circumcised. Circumcision was meant to be a marker of the covenant that God had with Israel. It was a very clear and physical sign that somebody was marked as a Jew. It set them apart from other peoples. It was very obvious who the Jews were and who the Jews were not. It was a sign of purity. It was a sign of distinction. It was a sign of holiness, right? Holiness just means being set aside for God. It was a sign of holiness to be circumcised. And that's what circumcision represented. And as the church began to spread in the first century, it began to spread first among Jewish believers, among uh, synagogues, and Paul is a Jew, and all um, of our writers our New Testament except for Luke, are all Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. I don't know if, that, if you knew that or not, but he was <laughs> Jewish. And uh, all the first believers, the first generation of believers, were found among Jews. That was sort of how the gospel began to spread. And so there were some people who thought about circumcision and assumed that the holiness which was associated with circumcision carried forward into this new covenant with Jesus. And Paul here is addressing this issue, and he rejects this idea. He rejects the idea that holiness and circumcision are linked together. The problem was not circumcision itself. Paul ends up circumcising Timothy. Remember we talked talking about Timothy last week? He ends up circumcising Timothy so that Timothy can, do, can move more freely among Jewish circles. The guys over here are like, oh man, that sounds awful. Shout out to my, to my guys, my Young Life guys. Yeah. Uh, but as more Gentiles began to join the church, this suddenly this model of holiness becomes a bit more awkward. Suddenly there's some Gentiles, they don't want to get circumcised, right? And all of a sudden you have this disagreement between those who are Jewish Christians and those who are Gentile Christians. And the Jewish Christians, maybe just in the back of their minds, but we all know that it's not just in the back of your mind, have this idea that, yeah, they're Christians, but you know, maybe just not as, not as holy, maybe just not as holy as us, right? They're a part of the family, of course, but we have Christ and circumcision, and they they just have Christ, you know, which is good, which is, you know, you need that, but I mean, come on, you know, we have the fullness. Yeah, fortunately, we've totally gotten over that sentiment, right? Um... No, unfortunately, we still occupy those same places today. The, the names have changed, the labels have changed, the ideas have changed, but that concept, that, that desire to create division among the church still remains. And I, as I was thinking about an illustration of this, I, I found the perfect illustration, actually, was that during 250 years of slavery in the United States, we, we operated from about 1619 to about 1865, It's about 250 years, And uh, during that time, Christians who were slaveholders uh, had the idea that God allowed them to be slaveholders because they were converting their slaves, and isn't that a good thing to be converted? And so uh, it's a a perfectly fine thing to enslave people if you're converting them. Um, And so they would take them to church, and they would bring them into church with them on a Sunday morning. All the slaves would come to church with their slaveholders, but they wouldn't let them sit with them. They wouldn't let them sit with them. In fact the slaves had to sit in the balcony. In fact there was an exit uh, and an entrance that was specifically for the balcony. You could reach the balcony without ever having to go into the main area. Because the idea was they have Christ, we want them there. But we might just be a little bit better. We might just have a little bit more. Of course they're they're Christians. Of course they're part of our family, they're part of our their family, the church family. But we have Christ and we're white. So that makes us just a little better. For 250 years, we did that. And it only ended about 160 years ago. The slaves may have had Christ, but the slaveholders had Christ and white skin. It was a model of exclusion that was brought from society into the church. People assume that because we can control the secular space, we should also be able to control the sacred space. Because I'm better than you outside these doors, that means I'm better than you inside these doors. And there's no distinction between these two things. And as much as it's easy and uh, comfortable, perhaps, to write off these Christians, uh, write off um, these people who did these terrible things, because it's so obvious to us that slavery is wrong, and it's so obvious to us that segregation is wrong, but to them, it wasn't obvious To them, it was real. To these Jews living in the first century, this was legit. This was holiness. To Christians in this nation for 250 years, we justified this. It made sense to us. So I want to ask you a question. 160 years from today, who's going to be looking back at us and saying, oh my goodness, how could they have gotten it so wrong? How could they have allowed division to creep into their body so much? I don't know what they're going to look at. I, uh, it's hard to tell, being in this moment, what exactly they're going to pinpoint. But I want to ask us as individuals, is there something in your heart? Is there a dark area that perhaps you've kind of kept off a little bit? Or is there an assumption or an underlying uh, uh, sense of superiority on some level towards other people? And believe me, it's not something that rears its head in such obvious and grandiose ways. It's something that creeps in subtly. It's something that just sort of appears out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, somebody walks through the door, and you just sort of, just in your mind, subconsciously kind of think to yourself, ah, you know, hmm." a little bit less, a little bit less, for one reason or another. I'm not going to tell you why. That's something you're going to have to discover on your own. I wish I knew why in my own life all the time. I, I recognize sometimes in my own life when this happens. And I've trained myself to pick up on it. I've trained myself. That when I start having these thoughts of superiority, my brain starts to say, wait a second, that's not right. That's not right. Because they still come to me, by the way. I'm I'm an imperfect person. Can somebody else admit that you're imperfect? Somebody else besides me? Thank you. Thank you. Most of you? Good. The rest of you, you'll be preaching next week. (laughs) But for those of us who are in process, for those of us who are imperfect, there's always that sense every once in a while that comes forward of superiority, of just a little bit better than. And we need to be on guard against that. Beware, watch out, avoid, says Paul. Avoid these dogs, these evil doers, these mutilators of the flesh. And notice he's not talking about the people who should be excluded. He's not talking about those who are not circumcised. He's talking about the people who are viewed as the most religious, viewed as the most holy. Those are the people that Paul is targeting. Watch out. Because religious people will always try to exclude others from the presence of God. Religious people will always try to build a wall around the church to protect us or protect our space or to protect our power or something like that. Religious people do that. Be on your guard against that in your own life, in your own heart. Watch out. Beware. Don't allow paradigms of domination or exclusion to creep into the church. The message of the cross is that nobody is worthy. The message of the cross is that nobody is holy, that nobody has accomplished, that nobody has something in themselves which makes them worthy to stand before God. The message of the cross is that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But that through the cross, through the blood of Jesus, everyone has access to the presence of God. No one has access outside of Christ, but in Christ Everyone has access. And that's it. There are no parameters. There are no walls. There are no if you can just do this or if you would just learn this or if you would just grow in this way. It has to only be through the cross. And that's why Paul says, it is we who are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. And he's speaking to people who are not circumcised. We are the circumcision. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do to make myself more holy in the eyes of God. Brother, we need to stop pretending like we're earning our faith. Does anybody feel like that sometimes? Man, sometimes I find myself caught in the middle of that, and all of a sudden I'll turn around and say, man, have I been trying to earn my faith this whole time? Have I been trying to rely on my own goodness to curry favor with God? Beware. Be on your guard. Sister, you've got to stop believing the lie that you're unworthy of God's presence. There is only one access point to the presence of God, and that is through the blood of Christ. And if that blood is upon your life, you have worth. You already have what you need. You already have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That is the access point, and there is nothing else. There is no one else. There is no other name under which we may be saved. It is only through Jesus that we are allowed in. If today, you come to this place and you're feeling unworthy. We're having communion today. And I'm inter- it's interesting because um, oftentimes if I'm serving communion or having communion and I invite somebody to come, hey, have communion with us, the number one reason people give, isn't that I'm not a Christian and that's kind of weird? The reason people give is I don't feel worthy of that. I don't want to do that because I don't feel worthy of it. That's the number one reason I hear from people. I don't feel worthy of approaching this. Brothers and sisters, if you were supposed to be worthy before you came to this table, No one could come and approach this. Judas ate communion with Jesus. Judas ate communion with Jesus. Jesus is washing his feet. Come to the table. Come expectant. Come ready to enter in the presence of God because it's through this act, it's through the blood of Christ that we're able to stand before God in the first place. It's not through anything else. But Paul says these things. He says, if if someone else has any reason to put confidence, look, if somebody thinks that they're worthy, Somebody thinks that they're holy. Somebody thinks they're all that. Paul says, consider me, right? I am the one who should top that. Nobody is higher on the totem pole than Paul is. He's saying, look, you want to compare to people, compare yourself to me. I mean, come on here, right? Paul was everything you would expect in a prominent up and rising star in Jewish circles in the first century. He was well-educated. He was a Pharisee. You know, He knew the wall. This is like he had a, he had a doctorate in biblical languages and, and biblical studies. He knew the wall so well. It was, a, it was a story. I don't know if this is true, but this is a story. The story goes that Pharisees in the first century knew Scripture so well that if you had a scroll of Torah and you put a knife in it, they could tell you the words that it pierced as it went down. They knew it so well, backwards and forwards. Paul is counted as a Pharisee, not just any Pharisee, but he trained under uh, a famous Pharisee in the first century, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. There was nothing non-Jewish that crept into my upbringing, says Paul. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. The significance of that is after the exiles happen, the Jews are kicked out, they're brought back, they're kicked out, they're brought back, and all this, people have lost their sense of identity. Nobody knows what tribe they're a part of anymore. Nobody knows if they're part of Asher or part of Gad or or what. That whole history has been lost. Paul knew. What does that tell you? That means his family kept that knowledge. It means that people were studious. It means that people in his family, his lineage, going all the way back to Benjamin, they knew who they were. Right? Paul says, I don't, don't even try to compare yourself. If there's a holiness contest, Paul wins. Right? As for zeal, I'm not out there in an ivory tower. It's not just that I know a bunch of stuff. As for zeal, I'm persecuting the church. I'm on the streets. Right? I got street cred. I got Knowledge, cred, I got all the cred. Right? According to the law, I'm faultless. I follow everything. Right? If there's a sacrifice, I make the sacrifice. I go to the festivals. I follow the law faultlessly. How many of us today are still trying to be like Paul? Man, I'm, I want to I be like that, man. If there was a contest for most worthy, like I said, Paul would win it. And one day, Paul's going about his righteous business high on his totem pole, and he has an encounter with Jesus. He encounters Jesus, and something about that encounter completely destroys everything that had come before. Something about that encounter with Jesus flips his paradigm. It shifts it. I want to say there's something about meeting Jesus, where all of the thoughts and all the expectations and all of the uh, things that I've built up in my own life when I meet Jesus, suddenly they don't matter anymore. I wonder if you've had that encounter. If you haven't had that encounter today, I, I, I want to I pray that encounter in. I want to pray that you have that encounter. Because there's something about coming face-to-face with Jesus, and it's not, a, it's not something that's like a, a ritualistic thing, and it's not something that um, you can access through your parents or through the faith of other people. I'm telling you, there's something about when you get to meet Jesus, When you actually experience Jesus' presence, like Paul did, in a real way, it completely transforms your life. Everything that you thought you were working towards suddenly falls down. It's like a house of cards that just falls down. And you suddenly realize all you want to do is be with Jesus. All you want to do is encounter him again. And that's what happened to Paul. He had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed his life here at New Life Foursquare, we're interested in new life. And new life only comes through an encounter with Jesus. There's no life in the law, brothers and sisters. There's no life in that. There's only life in Christ. So now those things that he thought were gains, those things that he would have been down walking down the street and, and people would have said, whoa, there goes Paul. Wow. What a, what a That guy's got it. Man, if we could just be like that, that would be awesome. Suddenly, all those things that Paul has the accomplishments of his life, the doctorate degrees that he's earned, the speaking engagements he's had, the times when he has most zealously represented the Jewish cause, he says, I count all those things a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, he says, I, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing greatness Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. His position in the Jewish community, his life of holiness, his reputation, his relationships, any sort of financial gain he had had, any sort of um, ideas about where his future was going to be, they all gone. He says, "I I consider those things a loss for the sake of knowing Christ. I want to tell you about what it means to be righteous. I want to tell you about what it means to be holy. What it means to be worthy. I think it's such an important question. It's a question that we ask ourselves. Am I righteous? Am I holy? Am I worthy? And it's something we ask other people. How, how, can, I, how can I bring other people into holiness? How can I bring other people into righteousness? And we do those things. We're starting small groups. We're discipleship. You know, we got Bible reading programs in the back. You can read your Bible Please do. But guys, if you want to be holiness, I want to talk to you about what holiness means. Oh my goodness, it means knowing Jesus. It means having the blood of Christ on your life. It means having a deep and abiding relationship with Jesus. If you want to be holy, if you want to be worthy, if you want to be any of those things, stop trying to make it on your own. Stop trying to produce holiness. Stop trying to build something up. Stop trying to build up your reputation. Stop trying to build up your uh, image in the eyes of other people. Come to the cross and encounter Jesus. And in Jesus, you will find a righteousness which is from God, which is far more and superior and surpassing that which you can gain on your own. That is what I'm interested in. That is what we are interested in. I believe it. We're interested in meeting Jesus. Jesus. In Isaiah 1.18, God says this. He says, "Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are as crim- red as crimson, they shall be like wool." And later in, in Romans three, or earlier Paul writes this. He says, "All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus." I don't want to know about how many people you've led to the Lord. I want to know how quickly you've come to the cross. I, I, don't, I don't really care about your Bible knowledge. I really don't. I've been around some people who knew a lot of Bible, they didn't know Jesus. And let me tell you something a whole lot of Bible ain't going to save you, a whole lot of Bible ain't going to make your life more holy. Don't tell me about how much you know the Bible. Tell me about how much you know the voice of Jesus. Tell me about how much you know his touch. There's a song that uh, Kirk Franklin wrote um, that I shared with our small group a little while ago. Uh, and the chorus goes Caught up to meet him. Can't wait to see him when he cracks the sky. And, he, and it says uh, in, in his arms I will hold him. By his touch I will know him. Together, Jesus and I. By his touch I will know him. Together, Jesus and I. Do you know the touch of Jesus? Do you know the touch of Jesus? When I get to heaven and I, I hold Jesus in my arms, I want to be able to say, I recognize this touch. I recognize that voice. I recognize this presence. That's what I want. I want here to experience that. I want, I want, I want heaven to come on earth so that I can experience being close to my Savior here. I'm not, I'm not satisfied to wait until I die. I'm not satisfied with trying to build up my reputation here on earth and then die and be with Jesus. I want to meet Jesus here now. And Jesus wants to meet you. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. See, it's not one-sided. It's not like you're pining after God and God is forever holding you at arm's length. Here, at the table of communion, you can meet with Jesus. Here today, there's no need to wait. You can meet with him today. I want to know Christ, says Paul, to know the power of his resurrection And participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. So that in some way, I might also join him in his resurrection. Paul is interested in being as close as possible with his Savior. Take the prestige of being an apostle. Take the fame, take the money and the glory. Take the position and the power. Not interested in those things. Interested in knowing Christ. Not satisfied with being a pastor if it means I can't be a son of God. Not satisfied with being popular if it means that I can't be Christ like. Not satisfied with living a life that is exalted in the eyes of other people if it means that that life draws me farther away from Christ. Don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied, church. Because there is no other name under which you may be saved. There's no other life. There's no other source of life. When Jesus says, I am the life, he didn't, he didn't mean. Uh, you can find life in other places and then occasionally come back and get life from me. No, guys, there is no other life. Life is found only in Jesus. Don't go looking anywhere else. Not interested in money or power or position, Paul says, I'm interested in Christ. There's a story that I kind of want to end you with, and it's a a popular one, and and it's one I'm sure you've heard several times, but it's a story of a woman, and she has a problem. And her problem is she's hemorrhaging blood. And she's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. It's been a long time of suffering for this woman. And she's spent every penny that she owns on doctors. She's been trying to alleviate her suffering. She doesn't know why it's happening. Doctors have just been saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Everything she's tried has failed. She needs something. She needs beyond advice. She needs something beyond good sentiments. She needs an encounter with somebody. So she hears about Jesus, right? She hears that there's this guy, and he heals people. And she says, man, if I could just get close enough to him, if I could just get Get to him. I I just want to touch him. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, maybe I could be healed by that. I I don't want to. I don't want to make a big scene. I don't want to. I don't want him to, you know, make a big deal out of it. I don't need people to say "make way" and, and bring me out in the open. I just need to get close to him. I just want to touch him. And so she kind of makes her way into the crowd. Which, by the way, she wasn't allowed to do. She was supposed to be by herself. She was supposed to be sequestered away. But she she says, "I can't help it. I need to go. I need to be near Jesus." So she makes her way through the crowd. And she reaches out, and she, and she grabs his, his garment, and immediately she's healed. And then uh, this phenomenal thing happens, which I, I just love, and it's going to make me tear up, but I just love this about Jesus. He could have just kept on going. He could have just said, okay, another one healed, okay, good, and, and moved on with his life, right? He could have just said, good, I'm glad that that happened, and, and then, but he doesn't. He's on his way to heal somebody. He's on his way to heal a little girl. Did you know this story? He's on his way. He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. There are people around him, right? He's moving, but he stops, and he says, whoa, somebody touched me, and his disciples say, what do you mean somebody touched you? Everybody's touching you, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is somebody here who has been healed, and they need to come forward and talk, and they wait, and I can imagine the person who's waiting to be healed, their family, their father, is waiting for Jesus to come to their house. And he's saying, man, why is this guy taking so long? Please, my daughter is dying. Can, can you just hurry this along? And Jesus says, no, no, no. No, no, no. We're going to wait. Who it? And so this woman comes forward, right? And she admits. She says, I'm sorry. I, I did this. And, and Jesus could have said, all right, good. Thank you for admitting that. Let's move on. Jesus could have said, I appreciate you. I just wanted to let know who you were, saw your face. All right, let's go. But he doesn't. It's the words say, Jesus heard her whole story. Her whole truth. He sat there while she began to, to cry out to him, to tell him all the times that she had tried to go to doctors, to tell him all the times that her neighbors had ostracized her, tell her all the times that she felt like uh, you know, she was worthless. Tell her all the time. He sat there while she told him her whole truth. And then Jesus says, good, now go. Jesus is interested in an encounter with you. He's not interested in in you coming to church on a Sunday and saying your praise and listening to the Bible and going back to your life. He wants an encounter with you. And if you would take the time to seek him, if you would take the time to reach out and touch him, I guarantee you the Savior you will find is not somebody who's going to go on with their day. He's going to stop. He's going to say, wait. He's going to say, I want to hear your story. I want to know about you. I want to hear your whole truth because Jesus is as interested in an encounter with you as you are with him. We do not serve a God on a throne who is unapproachable. We serve a God who made himself the most approachable. We we don't serve a God who sits on a throne and says, I hope that you can make it up here. We serve a God who came off of his throne, came and dwelt among us, became a servant among us, met us here so that we can have an encounter with him. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of Jesus that I serve. What does it mean to be righteous? Know Jesus. I just hope that you have a relationship with Jesus today. And I know that that's sort of a cliche thing to say, right? A relationship with Jesus. But that's what I'm interested in. We need to get beyond a point where we're more interested in our theology than we are with Jesus. We need to get beyond a point where we're more interested in being right than we are with knowing Jesus. We need to get beyond a point where we're willing to allow superiority or... Different levels of spirituality to eke into our subconscious. We just need to know Jesus. Can we have somebody, can you, can somebody, Kim, can, can you run downstairs and get the kids and tell them to come up? We're going to have a communion together. It's a foreign idea, foreign to God, foreign to the gospel, that something that you do makes you worthy of being in God's presence. The gospel is very simple. You are not worthy, but Christ has died for you and has made you worthy, more than worthy. And so we're going to pray for a minute, and I I want you to take some time, before we take communion, take some time to deal in your own body, in your own mind, in your own soul with what I've been talking about. Right? Take some time to just be alone with God for a little bit. And allow Jesus to talk to you. Allow yourself to have an encounter with Jesus. And maybe this, is, this might even be for the first time, or might be for the first time in a long time, or it might be the first genuine encounter that you have. But God wants to have an encounter with you this morning. I don't want to let an opportunity go past unless you have an opportunity to meet him. So Lord, we just come before you. And God, we carry with us our histories, our hurts, our relationships, And God, you say you want to know our whole truth. Okay, well, this is our whole truth, God. There are times in our life when we've been hurt. There are times in our life when the people who should have protected us didn't. And in fact, they turned against us. There's times in our lives where churches have turned against us. There's times in our lives, Lord, where the people who should be inspiring us to love you have shown us hatred. God, we've been ostracized by our friends and neighbors. There's a lot of brokenness, Jesus. You want to know our whole truth. Well, this is our whole truth. Would you take a moment, just silently, as the kids come up, and they're going to come up here in the front, but would you just take a moment to be with God, to be with Jesus? Let's just pray silently for a minute.